Okay. Good morning, Willow. Good morning, Gene. And welcome to another beautiful Bookstabber, coming to you live from Bookstabber Studios. I don't know why that always makes me laugh. <laughs> but just, just the welcome to Bookstabber. I don't, I don't know why. I'm giddy. Everyone in our audience today, look under your chairs. You will find a copy of the book that we are talking about today. That would be great. Which is uh, Sailors on the Sea of Fate. The, the, is it Sailor singular or plural? The, the Sailor. The Sailor on the Seas of Fate, isn't it? It's one of those things. Uh, you'll find it. It's by Michael <laughs> It's by Michael Moorcock. By Michael Moorcock. This is our second installment in our Year of Sword and Sorcery, I believe. I'm so excited. Yes, yeah, so excited about the Year of Sword and Sorcery. Uh, this is the second Elric book, um, at least in terms of the order in which they were published. And it was published in 1976. Right. It, you would probably be better off reading the first one. I don't know. No. If you don't know who Elric of Malnibene is, you think this is the starting point? I think this is the starting point. Well, this is how I started, I think. I think this is the first one okay. I read. I saw this in the spinner rack at the library when I was a kid, and I probably read this when I was about nine or ten, as I was telling you uh, last time we recorded. Um, I love this cover so much with, with the sword pointing in the air and Elric's bony albinoness, but muscular albinoness, like uh, and his, and his uh, winged uh, helm. Uh, the dark sword. Yeah, I just I, I love everything about this cover so much that it's the book for me. Um, so uh, I like I, I looked back a little bit to see like it looks like um, the Hawkmoon series had already been written at this point. Like that was the first series uh, Moorcock wrote, and then uh, the Eternal Champion, starring Ericos, who makes an appearance in this, was in 1970. Uh, Warlord of the Air, which is a book uh, with Zeppelins, that uh, is also one of the Eternal Champion series was in 71 and then the original Elric book was in 72. So, so And then when did when did Michael Moorcock write Corum because that's also I think that was uh, I think that was that was later, but I'm not I'm not 100% sure when that I I I Corum also does show up in this. Right, right. I never really I, I think I read one of the Corum books but kind of by accident. I, I I will admit to being I will admit to not being not have not being an eternal champion completist. And the eternal champion is is this idea that all there's all these different planes and there's this uh kind of epic saga going on that is reflected in these in the different experiences of the eternal champion who is this hero who is reincarnated on each plane and Elric is one of the eternal champions and Ericos is one of the eternal champions and Hawkmoon is one of the eternal champions yeah th- i mean this this book there was a huge resurgence i think at this time uh in fantasy of sword and sorcery books um, it's when you see the conan uh novels being written by different people and uh starting to be published and uh shortly after this uh the Conan, the first Conan movie came out uh, in the early '80s. So, and, and I mean, arguably, Star Wars is part of that, right? Sure. Um, Before we um, give the book talk, so I think we need to talk a little bit about just who Elric of Melnibide is for people who don't know, <laughs> uh, because even though, well, this book gives a little bit of an introduction, but I, I came to this already having some knowledge of of who Elric was, and I think that if I did not know that, I would have been extremely lost, right? Okay, Elric of Melnibone is a, uh, let's see, he's an albino Melnibonean. He's not just a Melnibonean, he is the emperor of Melnibone, uh, who has decided to vacate his throne briefly, um, leaving a regent in his place. He's left uh, the woman he's supposed to be with, who's his cousin, uh, and he's gone off from Melnibone, which is this isle of uh, very jaded, very dark sorcerers who are very private don't share anything they are not they're not human beings um their patron is uh, a duke of hell this demon uh Arioch. and um and elric is is doing this atypical thing he's going into 
kind of the center of humanity, the young kingdoms on his plane. And he's trying to mix with them and kind of learn things from them. And we're not really sure what he's learning from them, but it's, it, it's clear that like where he comes from is like a place of like pain and torment and emotionlessness. And I also get the sense that there's a lot of decadence, a lot of decadence. Yeah. Uh, it's a very aristocratic, uh, but it's also hopeless. It seems like, like, like there's no, there's no hope there. There's no brightness. Everybody knows sure. life is pointless and they're just kind of like amusing themselves to death is what it feels like. Right. And, I mean, being, th- th- being that they worship Ariok, it seems like they're just profoundly evil on every level. But, but not, not quite right. And, but, but it's, it's all complicated by the fact that Elric has this sword Stormbringer that, that is sentient and uh, it's a black sword. And when it really gets excited, it starts talking and buzzing and, black fire kind of goes up the sword and uh, it likes to drink the souls of the people it kills. And it, it like that, that um, well, it actually, it has to be fed a steady, a steady diet of souls, right? <laughs> well, I, that's a little unclear, but, but um, it is, it is very excited to drink the souls and it is clearly out of Elric's control sometimes. Right. But it's also kind of saving him at other times. So, so it's, it's super crazy. Oh, and, and like, this is a plane where uh, the Lords of chaos and order are in some kind of conflict. Um, there, there's there's kind of like simple sorcery of Melnabone, which is seems to be elementals and maybe maybe other spells. But there's also uh, there's there's gods that clearly walk uh, the earth or between the different earths between the planes. It's a crazy place. I mean, it's it's yes. it's, it's vast <laughs> and uh, unknowable and super cool. And it really excited me <laughs> as as a young man. Like I said, I, Ab- I absolutely I was, there is a beautiful comic book kind of logic to all of this this setting and the world building and the characters. Comic book logic. We'll have to uh, we'll have to explore that in a minute. So so uh, can, can I give the pitch for the book? I don't even know how to pitch this book because it's right. So the the actual pitch is that uh, Elric of Melnibene, the wandering warrior in exile that he is, mm-hmm. uh, has found himself. Uh, a fugitive from some some noble that he is uh, upset, and so dogs are chasing him. Well, it, it's, it, it's because because nobody trusts anybody of his race, right? They're, they they used to rule humanity, and now they don't. And yeah, it's it's super complicated. Anyway, he's he's on the run uh, when he finds himself at a at a beach, and a mysterious ship uh, that seemed to be exuding magical mist just appears <laughs> before him, and. And he is enlisted into a crew of of strange warriors from all all across the globe and parts unknown, uh, where he discovers that he and the other eternal champions are uh, are being recruited to battle some great evil. And the whole of the novel. So, my understanding is that I think this is a collection of three short stories that have had some connective tissue stitched together to make it into a novel, but that was probably not its original case. So there's three Elric of Melnimine adventures, uh, one in which he and the other eternal champions must battle some kind of slime wizard. Uh, <laughs> That's, that is unkind. That is unkind, ma'am. That, I... they're, battling, they're battling sorcerers that, 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 are, that are super powerful and will destroy all the universes. And at least one of them is like a big slime in a in a cauldron, though. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's, it's so much worse than that. But we'll get to it. Uh, I I want to say I, I I liked these for the most part. Um, uh, the second the second one is um, what's the second one? The second one is El- Elric goes into like a demi plane uh, oh. with his friend uh, 
Count Smorgan Baldhead, right? And, <laughs> and he meets oh, and he meets a really old guy from Melnibone who shouldn't still right, be alive. He, met, he meets another Melnibonean who has become the the cruel master of this demiplane and and is trying to uh, capture his bride to be that he thinks is his resurrected love from ages past. Right, right. And, and then the third one is third one is they go to the the ancient home of the Melnibonians, which is a ruin nobody's ever explored before, and. Uh, Chaos ensues. Is that fair to say? Yeah, some. I, I don't know how else to describe it. It was all kind of a blur to me. Well, well um, but, but there's there's three journeys. They all take place like in and around the sea um, with Elric traveling yes. the plains, and we get a real sense right. of. Uh, well, it provides a sense of Elric and a sense of uh, Melnibone to an extent. I right. Think. <clears throat> so this, uh, in many ways, this is extremely up my alley. Um, I'm glad to hear. So glad to hear that. Well, this is high weird fantasy. It is so um, weird. <laughs> I'm I'm also extremely into anthology storytelling, and these being you know short stories with with a little bit of connective tissue, I I can appreciate. Um, so I'll say this because I do have a I have a lot of critical things to say. Um, but the the opening of this book, like the introduction, where it's just setting the stage for Elric's adventures. Is like I I could not have been more excited just reading that. Really, it's just describe. Well, because the language is extremely beautiful and poetic. Um, it's got great description. Oh wow! Okay. El Elric is cool. There's so much. There's so much to love about that opening. Elric is so cool. Um, Elric is so cool. Even though it's, I, even though it's a dark and stormy night, it's like yeah, it's it's so well described. Well, You're like I, okay. It is. No, I can still see it as like. Uh, Elric is surrounded by these these massive clouds that uh, they're they're like giants that are blocking the moon from him as and there's no other light on this dark sea and it's a very poetic. It's great description. Yeah. It, it, it's huge it's, fan of that. It, it's it's madness and then he just goes to sleep. <laughs> no, well, and he... well, I'm also well, I'm a big fan of the part too where it's like you know the serpentine streets of Melnibene in which uh, demons are constantly cavorting and you know. Uh, he has visions of his of his beloved and and his cousin to whom uh, is sitting on the throne and he fears that she's been ensorcelled by him and 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 has lost whatever beauty and and uh, humanity that she had but so when the actual sort of I'll say that the the story that this begins on is not a great starting place uh, I don't think that the story in which he meets the other characters who like. I haven't read any Quorum. I haven't read any Hawkmoon. I know a little bit about these characters, but not enough to know anything interesting about them. And then we're introduced to like 16 other characters who are only so significant as that they are just other guys who go onto this island to kill, was it Ak and Gok or something? Uh, 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 <laughs> hold on, hold on. It's Agok and Gagok. Right, Agok and Gagok. Well, and there's this mysterious uh, captain of the ship who can't explain anything and is like, I'm so sorry, I can't explain anything. It's just kind of like, I don't really know what's going on. <laughs> and they're like, okay. And he's not human. But, I mean, I mean, so, yeah, so Quorum's books, uh, The Knight of Swords, the first Quorum book was published in 71. So it was it, it predates this as well, which makes sense. Is Quorum, Quorum is the one who's the last of the Magda, is that right? I don't, I, like I said, I haven't read... I haven't read the Quorum 
books. I, I think I've read the Corum uh, graphic novels that came out a long time ago. Um, sure. More than anything else, but Corum never really was compelling to me. I had a great, uh, slightly related, I had a great um, Elric of Melnibene comic book that I found in a library uh, sale, you know, just beautifully illustrated. There's there's a few of them, so I'm not sure which one it is. Is it the very 70s, the, the very 70s one looking, like the crazy colors in it? Well, I think the only I think the only ones that exist are all extremely seventies. So no, there's there's doesn't... new ones. Fra- France is they're being published in France now, kind of like the new. Oh, Conan it's definitely not. Novels. It definitely was not a new one. Okay. No, uh, this is a tangent, but there was this library sale that I went to, and somebody had just donated their floppy comics collection. Like oh, this wow. clearly was not from, and they had so much good stuff. They had Love and Rockets number one. Oh no. They had like, well, that's, if you look it up on eBay, it's like $3. It's not expensive. Um, no, but how fun, to, how fun to find that. I mean, I'm not, I'm not they saying. They had, uh, oh yeah, no, they had Jack Kirby's Destroyer Duck um, and they had this Elric comic. And so it was a total steal for me. Like, that's you know, great. I got all this for a dollar. Totally. Somebody had a great collection and I feel bad that they gave it up. Anyway. So Elric, very cool, very into it. Okay. These stories did not quite meet my (laughs) expectation of cool Elric adventures. So I will say it's extremely cool what happens uh, in the fight against Agak and Gagak, wherein the Eternal Champions, I I know this is skipping a little bit. Yeah, it's it's such a strange thing. I don't know how to to even talk about it. Okay, so we've got these four Eternal Champions, which uh, any, if, if they had collected any more Eternal Champions that Michael Moorcock, I guess, had not written about then the world would explode or something it would be too much (laughs) too much champion right right so they they they're exploring this island and there's all kinds of weird slithering monsters they find this cauldron that has this telepathic ooze which they figure out must be agak i think well i think i I think the whole building is 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 the the wizard no i mean like 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 they enter in and they're like there's like a voice saying like oh you're inside my sister or something like it's so strange Right. right I I couldn't. It's it's very dreamlike, and w- without any real prompting, uh, the four champions they lift their swords together, and then they transform into uh, an eight-armed eight. Yeah, an eight-armed, eight-legged, four-faced being who manages to use all four arms to wield one massive sword. Right. Um, well, they, which, they all which have unusual swords battle. too. They all have unusual swords. It's worth noting, but right. Yeah. Well, if <laughs> you gotta have unusual swords in this setting, you gotta have unusual. Just... I thought when they all had unusual swords, I was like, oh, I wish there was more description of that. Willow would love more description of the unusual swords. <laughs> well, I th- that's it. Is like I I couldn't tell you anything about Hawkmoon, and and like this book doesn't th- this story doesn't tell me anything about Hawkmoon except right. that he's one of the champions, right? R- r- and, 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 I know. And Hawk, yeah, Hawkmoon just has like the scar on his forehead. That's all you know about Hawkmoon from this, and it's like it's just so weird to reduce right. him to that. But like if you know who he is, you're like, oh, this is cool. That's Hawkmoon. Woo! <laughs> it's gonna right. And I also don't know, like I know a little bit about Corum, but I don't know where he is on his adventure. So I don't know if he has the the artificial hand yet like i think they did describing as a, as an eye patch which i think is right. the the eye of rin well, does, does, uh, and doesn't so. hawkmoon hawkmoon knows elric from some other adventure but elric doesn't know hawkmoon's they figure out time right travels Cause, differently right because and... this isn't their first actual crossover but it's the first one that elric is experiencing i'm guessing right because ta- time shenanigans well time on different planes doesn't run concurrently is how they say it in the book which i which i like right. i mean it's cool and like the sorcerers are like they're stealing energy from the the universes. They're going to destroy the universe. And 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 what I like is that like it talks about the lords of law and uh, chaos 
a, a little bit mm-hmm. here. And it talks about them kind of about these sorcerers being less moral than the Lords of Law and Chaos. Like whatever the Lords of Law and Chaos right. are. And, and the Lords of Law and Chaos kind of run through this whole thing too. Um, and, and I mean, as they go into the, the building that is, I think, the one of the sorcerers, they're attacked by apes. And Elric has some sense right. that those those creatures are reptilian, but doesn't but can't really prove it. He's just imagining it from the buildings. It, it's very strange. And then there's like yeah, the strange pool, and then the champions become one, but they're also separate. There's all these references to a place called Tanalorn, which is kind of like it, it's a it's yes. it, it's a mystical city. Everybody seems to be seeking on different planes, and it means something different to everybody. It's never explained very much. I, I do like it. Well, it's a it is a place where where warriors find peace, and and there will be no blood shed in Tantalor, and it is just the, it's it's kind of like Valhalla, but better. Right. I guess, I guess you could argue it's more like Folkvanger than Valhalla, but uh, it it is a it, it it is a Xanadu. It's a Shangri La. It is meant to be uh, your place of of eternal. Uh, what what is the word I'm looking for? You know, it's good. It's a good place. You want to get there. Well, you you, you talk about uh, Norse mythology so often that I tried to read Norse mythology last week. I was going to sit down and read a book. Could not yeah. do it again. I failed again. I am never reading Norse mythology as long as I live. It is not for me. Did you try reading uh, Neil Gaiman's Norse mythology? I, you know, I, I've tried that before. I try. I what I tried last week was the graphic novel adaptations of it, and I just there's something about Norse mythology that is just uninteresting to me. Like those comics are great, and they're by different creators, and um, they're beautifully done. Sure. And they seem well told, and I just, I just, I am not drawn to them. I was reading it, kind of forcing myself against the flow, you know, and uh, like I was moving upstream, and I thought I just don't, I don't actually want to read this. I, I, I get as much of this as I need to from other sources from secondary sources well part of part of it is it's it's not even that i'm a it's that i like norse mythology which i do but i i just like mythology in general i'd be just as happy reading you know aruba mythology or uh you know chinese stuff well and, and, and so I, do I'm, I, but, I just like all of it so, so do i but i've always had this problem with norse mythology that i've just never really been able to to sink into it and um i had that exact experience again and i don't know if it's just the exposure through marvel comics some of those ideas if it creates this uh ramp in my head that has to overcome or not i i don't know what it is but i'm gonna go back and read some welsh mythology from now on that that's that's my next stop i think um so, so that sounds so, fun so so yeah so the frustrating thing for me in this and i i agree with you is like almost nobody's described it's all very mystical it's all it's all very it's it's all so strange uh this first adventure um and then people die. You don't really care. It's they're just kind of fodder. We don't even see them all die. It's very odd. Uh, they fight their way to this pool. They become this other thing. They then they kill the other wizard, and it's over. And then they go back to the boat. Right. Or not all of them go it's, back to the it's boat. It's weird. It's weirdly both straightforward and not straightforward because the actual events are. You know, it feels like you can summarize it very quickly. But the whole time it's happening, you know. And and I'll say that I this is one of the things I like aesthetically about Moorcock stuff is how everything at all times is ultimately mysterious, how the universe is so incomprehensible and, and how everyone is sort of victim to its its chaotic churnings. It's it seems like it seems like there's something greater going on. I mean, it's very clearly there's something greater going on. There's some kind of war, some kind of cosmic level war. I don't I don't think the champions are pawns. There's there's all these references to their destinies. So how much choice do they have? It's it's a little unclear, right? It it, it just it it feels like it feels like things are going on that they're not really a part of, and um, they're called on to do these things, like to have these adventures, but like this one. Um, 
But then Elric is like, oh, if I, if I, oh, oh, so at the end of it, the weird thing at the end of it is that the universes are destroyed. Like, I can't remember which one, Agok or, I think it's Gagok. Uh, Or no, no, Agok, Agok, they kill Gagok first, then Agok awakens. And then Agok takes all the energy from the universes to fight them, or they do. (laughs) And then all the universes are destroyed. But then after they kill the other sorcerer, they kind of restore the universes with, with a sweep of their sword. They, they put the energy back. <laughs> right. And it drives everybody who's still alive in the building kind of insane, right? Including, including Elric mm-hmm. and the others. Um, and so Elric says something like, I have to forget this or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go nuts. Like, th- this will be, be terrible. And then he goes to sleep. And then he, like, the, the, then the next, let's see, does he, I can't remember how it works. He, oh, so, so then he goes back to the ship. I think Hawkmoon and Quorum stay on the and Erico stay on wherever they were. Maybe Quorum goes with them on the ship. I can't really remember. They, they yeah, drive away, and then Elric disembarks the ship, and the Misty ship, and goes to a shore and falls asleep, and then he dreams that he was dreaming of this adventure. So it's all way back in his <laughs> mind, which is super irritating. Right. But then, to him, it's just like he went to sleep on that first beach, and he wakes up in another yeah. place. It's clearly another world because the, the sun is uh, blackish purple, right? Right. This is, all right. So we we bring ourselves to our second adventure, in which uh, which is what sailing to the present. So the first one was sailing right. to the sailing to the future. This one is sailing. Well, to and the at present. some point, at, at some point, in this he is now he is now uh, befriended uh, Smorgan Baldhead, right? Because Smorgan is in this adventure and the next one. Th- that's correct. He finds Smorgan. Uh, he kind of walks around until he finds these guys who he thinks are merchants, then realizes they're warriors, but they're warriors from all these different time periods. And um, mm-hmm. he goes up to try to buy some, some wine or some water. So he's not a terrible guy because he could just kill them all. But um, Oh, sure. Elric is the... I, I think they they make this pretty clear that uh, Elric is the nicest Mel Nibbanean you'll ever meet. Right. Uh, right. Be- despite but, his, despite like, his demonic that, glowing red eyes and whatever else. Right. But he that doesn't make him a good person either because... He no, does, he's totally not a good person. He does have to feed souls to his sword and um, has, you know, still worships Ariok and just has a lot of weird stuff going on. But Ariok, Ariok is but, the patron of the Melnabodanian people, so he doesn't have much choice there. Right. Stormbringer, he seems unable to get rid of it somehow. He seems tied to it in a way that I don't... Well, he does ca- He does, He does. does call upon Ariok uh, in the third story, I believe. He does. He does, yeah. yeah. But but so, so, so this one is the weirdest, uh, shortest story. Was it shortest? It felt like it's, it feels the shortest. So he meets, uh, say that guy's name, Smur, Smur, Smurigan? Smorgan. Smorgan. Smorgan Baldhead. Yeah. Uh, he was once a sea lord of the Purple Towns. Uh, he fights with an axe and a sword. And when Elric gets into it with these guys who just attack him to take his money because they don't like Melnabonians, um, Smurgan, uh fights with him and they become friends and they go back to Smurgan's ship. Uh, which all these other guys have have killed everybody, and they're gonna sail away, and they find uh, this woman who gave Smurgan this weird uh, Melnimonian currency, which is kind of like a piece of art, and it's also like a picture of a torture wheel of some kind. It's pretty insane, uh, but it's this big piece <laughs> I'll of. I'll say gold. that uh, I'll say that this adventure feels the most like an episode of Star Trek. Yes, absolutely. Yes. I mean, when I say that, I mean old Star Trek. But if you told me it was an episode of Next Gen, I would believe that too. It, it, it's really weird. There's like, they find this woman. There's like a horse on board the ship as they start to sail away. And she says, this this guy, Saxif de Annan. De, say his name? Mm-hmm. Is that his name? Yeah, Saxif de Annan. I think. De Annan. 
Saxif de Anne, uh, who is kind of from Elric's great-grandmother's time, is a Melnimonian of legend, who actually fell in love with a half-Melnimonian woman. And love, we find out, is very rare in Elric's people. Um, and, and then, um, like, she was kind of rescued by somebody else who she was pledged to marry, and then he grabbed her and killed her. And uh, as she died, she said, I love you, and cursed him again. So he had remorse, which is super, super uncommon, even less common than than love for Elric's people. And so, uh, and, and apparently Saxif thinks that um, this woman is, is the reincarnation of her and so is pursuing her. And that's how Smjorgen's uh, boat, which took her on board as a, as a passenger, um, was pulled through the Crimson Gates into this world. And, and so Elric summons some wind elementals, but they can't get away from Saxif. And there's this weird, like, white horse that keeps appearing. And the woman says, oh, that means right, Saxif's right. going to board our ship soon because that horse is always wherever he's going to be. It's very strange. Right. He's um, terrified of the horse. He's terrified of the horse. But so when Saxif actually, like, boards the ship, the, the story feels like it's a lot of uh, Saxif saying, give me the woman, and Elric and Smorgan saying, no, we don't want to give you the woman. Why doesn't he, just, why doesn't he just take the woman? I couldn't, I couldn't understand. Well, uh, well, the whole thing, I think the idea is that Saxif probably couldn't if he wanted to. It, it, it's, I don't know, it's kind of contrived. They, they just kind of have this back and forth over and over where he's just like, but you must give her to me or else I will <laughs> prevent you from ever leaving this realm. Yeah, and it, they're just like, well... And, and, and Elric, yeah. Elric says he's like he's like uh, the em- the emperor, and he demands fealty. And Saxif says your your authority doesn't extend here to this plane where I you rule. You have no power here, Elric. <laughs> and um, and and then and then like basically Elric Elric has like some there's some statement about him about he realizes Saxif is more afraid of the rider that comes with the horse that we never see. I don't know how he figures right. that out. It's from the stories. And then Elric just punches Saxif in the face and runs up the rigging and Smeargan runs with him and Saxif grabs the woman and runs into the cabin. And then it's it's pretty ridiculous. Like they're, they're cutting the sails and then the horse appears and there's a rider on it and uh, the rider just rides through wherever Saxif has barricaded himself inside as Elric and Smeargan are fighting pirates. And then the the writer like basically kills Saxif, uh, takes the woman. It's the writer who loved the original woman that Saxif had killed. Somehow come from a different plane, and somehow Elric facilitates him coming on the horse. It's very it's very weird and mysterious again, but I kind of like it. Elric has some magic, and we don't really understand it again, and it's okay. It's a very soft magic world, right? Uh, what's that guy's mm-hmm. name? Prince Prince Carolac. Ker- um, yeah, something like that. And then and then. Uh, they take the ship through the Crimson Gate mm-hmm. back toward Elric's world, where Smeorgan is also from, with the help of the sailors right. who, they're like, hey, sailors, let's go. You can have a better <laughs> offer than this. And they're like, well, no, we haven't had a better offer for hundreds of years. This is fantastic. And they, they, <laughs> and they go through these Crimson right. Gates, which would look pretty cool in a movie. And <laughs> But then the whole, the whole ship comes apart at the end because it's hundreds of years old. It was only sustained by, by, uh, right. by Saxif Dan, Dan's... Um, sorcery right but they they find one mass that apparently isn't rotten tie themselves to it and they are hauled aboard a ship right at the end of this which is so strange it's duke avon has saved them and then that that leads us to the book three sailing to the past which which starts out with them meeting this guy duke avon who was looking for elric mysteriously so they've been thrown together now and he's an adventurer and a trader and explorer and he is going to find uh a city deep in the jungles of the east can you pronounce it willow the name of the city? I, can you spell it for me? It, well, it's something like Relin, 
Corinne Ah. Relin Quay Ah is, I think, how the audiobooks pronounce it. Relin Quay Ah, okay. Which is supposed yeah. to be where the Melnoboyans came from originally, and Elric is trying to understand his people, so he agrees to go. And Smeorgan's like, I want some treasure. That'd be a great place to go, too. Uh, which is also why uh, Avon is going. And, oh, and all the other sailors that were on board the ship, dead, lost. I don't know what happened to the girl, do you? Well, didn't didn't she go with uh, Kerouac because that was her one true love all along? Does she? Okay, all right. That mu- that must yeah. Have it's kind of a it's kind of a fairy tale ending that mm. that she always wanted to be with him and not with uh, you know Saxif and and so the, the the hero of the story shows up being you know Kerouac and uh, him and his he takes his bride and his horse and they ride away into the sunset. It's it, it's weird because like Elric isn't the hero of that story. Elric has, isn't he's kind of the hero of the first one or part of the hero of the first one. Then he's not the hero of the second one, but he kind of facilitates <laughs> it. I, I guess he is the hero, arguably. And then the third one, they go across the boiling sea, which is cool. I love the boiling sea. They have some very philosophical uh, talks about what Elric, why Elric is going into the young kingdoms, which is is okay. And maybe he says it's humanity he's seeking. They, we find out uh, Duke Avon has a map. There's a legend we learn of this place co- uh, about uh, a creature, the, a guy called the Creature Doomed to Live, who it sounds like is a Melnobonian. Mm-hmm. And, and I love this because when the lords of um, the higher worlds met there to talk about the, the rules of the cosmic struggle, he's the only person who didn't flee and then he was doomed to live forever. I love this. So we know we're going to meet this guy. It's, it's fun. Right. And there's supposed to be a giant statue of Ariok. Lord of Chaos, and Avon really wants the gems that are supposed to be his eyes. These huge gems fr- from different planes. I couldn't, I couldn't help but imagine the cover of the uh, advanced D&D Dungeon Master's right? Guide in which you're prying, the, the, the thief is prying big rubies out of the eyes of a great demon statue. Right, right, right. And this, I want, this must have predated that, because this is 76. When is that? Like, a little bit later? Right, well, this, uh, right, as uh, someone who's been going through Gary Gygax's uh, list of books that inspired D and D. Uh Elric of Melnimine was definitely on that list. Hmm. Well, um, I, and well, I don't I don't know if he I don't know if he actually put it on that list, but I think I'm pretty sure we know that um the Quorum books also were inspirational. I want to say maybe we should read a Quorum book later, because 'cause I'm I'm very curious about the first Quorum book, but uh I I don't sure, know. Sure, sure. Um so uh so, so what I like about this is like, okay, so the Lords of Lords of the Higher Worlds, like the Lords of Law and Chaos are gonna are going to talk they're, they're coming up with rules for the struggle like like this has been referenced before they're not they're not as bad as those sorcerers who are just like totally like do whatever they want they're selfish there's no rules like like these guys have rules and and um the, the like Moorcock's imagination is so rich he talks about how um like duke avon talks about how um he knows that he, he's not sure he's not afraid but he he needs foresight and caution and he knows that he's going to face sorcery and he doesn't want a wizard from somewhere named like Pang Tang. He doesn't want that, those kinds of wizards. He's better off with a Melnibonean. And when he heard Elric was on the road outside of Melnibonean, he decided to seek him out. So it's like, oh, this is kind of nice. It's like there's a there's a depth to this world that um, I, I think it would be hard to come up with uh, like on the fly. My, my friend uh, Tim, I was talking to him about this book the other day, and he said he talked about the resurgence of sword and sorcery at this time. But he also said, and you got to remember, there was a lot of drugs. People took a lot of drugs <laughs> around the right. time these books were being written. So I don't know if Moorcock did or not. Uh, I wouldn't be. I wouldn't oh, I'm be terribly sure, I'm surprised. I'm sure he did. Yeah, maybe, but I mean, like, you don't need. You don't necessarily need drugs to have a crazy imagination, too. So. Oh, I, um, I know, and I, and I, I actually am really. I, I, I'm not a big fan of that um, interpretation of anything that is trippy involves drugs. Like, I, I don't know Michael Moorcock well enough to know whether or not he enjoyed drugs. It's entirely possible that he didn't, but 
like they fit so neatly together. Like these are so very great. psychedelic. There's a lot of psychedelic imagery going on in these stories. Well, yeah, yeah, and that that could just be like, oh, the publishers were like, oh, we like this book to have this imagery right now. You know what I mean? We, we're, we're choosing to publish this book because it's so, it's so of the time, right? Uh, but also, well, I mean, what I know of what I know of Moorcock is I'm sure that like he was writing the kind of thing that he wanted to. I don't think he like begrudgingly. I don't think he wanted to be Hemingway and then right begrudgingly wrote about <laughs> slaying serpents and right, right, all right, kinds right. of fantastical seems, things. Seems to have had a great time, yeah. Um, sure. so, uh, let's see So There's a couple more. So, so we've had Elric, Elric has used, uh, sorcery twice before once to call on elemental aid to move his ship with Smorgan on it in the second story. And, uh, also to kind of facilitate the Carillac coming to face down, uh, Saxif mm-hmm. at the end. And in this one, he, he calls on the, as they head uh, across the boiling sea and then, like into the Western lands and then up this river and finally onto the Island, they face these lizard guys with, uh, frisbees, <laughs> deadly frisbees, apparently that sing when they throw them. Um, and that don't hit anybody important. Uh, <laughs> and as they're fighting them, like they're, uh, they're kind of immune to Elric's swords magic, which is cool. Uh, they resist its power. Right. Like it's not sucking the uh, souls out of them. So he normally he only has to kind of wound somebody and the sword just goes whoop. And the person dies because their soul is gone. Um, right. So Elric calls upon the aid of this insect elemental uh, to save them. And all these dragonfly-like things come out and um, and strip the meat off the lizard guy's bones. It's pretty cool because they're in deep trouble. And then they get to the ruins of the city. And the city, nothing grows there. It's on this little island in the river. Um, there is a gigantic statue of... Uh, this kind of naked feminine beauty, this young guy, um, its eyes are gone. Um, the whole city seems very simple, unlike Melnabone. So Elric is looking at the history of his people, uh, and then the lizard guys attack again. They follow them. Um, and Elric calls Ariok for aid. And you, you can't... I mean, what, what I like is that he doesn't get it. Like, Ariok is basically, ah, no, man, other, other things are too important. I can't, I can't do this. Uh, for you and Ariok is also referred to as the duke of hell as one of the dukes of hell Mm -hmm. so that's that's a weird thing right um (laughs) is it well it's 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 quite strange right i mean it makes me i mean he's 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 clearly a demon um he's a duke of hell Mm -hmm. like like elric's people side with chaos it seems like yes he's a lord of chaos so it's 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 interesting um i think hell is like nice shorthand and and demon is shorthand people Outside of uh, Meldabone call Elric's people demons as well. They find a library that's destroyed. Oh, no. They find some fresh graffiti. Oh, yes. There's something humanoid lurking. Oh, wait. It's the creature. <laughs> the creature who lives forever. The creature doomed to live. Who can't talk about what he overheard when the uh, the gods met there. He's got, an, he's got an arrow stuck in him. It's it's very strange. It, it, it's all it's all very weird. We find out the, uh, the reptile people are called Olabs for no reason at all. They had to be called something. They had to be called something. And they wander into this giant uh, crystal structure, which they don't seem to realize is the statue's eyes somehow, but it becomes apparent pretty quickly. And Elric has another kind of vision of the eternal champion of himself in a different aspect. And it seems to drive uh, Avon kind of crazy and Smjorgen. And and I think there's another sailor with them. Yeah, it's kind of nuts. It all ends with Elric trying to set the creature doomed to live free by killing him. And to do that, of course, he needs to have some kind of blood sacrifice. <laughs> so Ariok, Ariok will listen to him. 
and uh, he commands him with his gem. I, hon- I honestly did not remember. <laughs> well, so, so he needs, so he's calling on Ariok. He's tr- he's supposed to command Ariok with the little gem that he has, and um, he's telling Ariok, the Jade Man, to the giant Jade statue, to leave and take the curse with him so that uh, the creature can die. But Stormbringer is like, mm, like you need you need uh, some blood, blood and souls. And then Elric's like, nope, 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 these are my friends. And Stormbringer goes, too bad. And Stormbringer, the sword itself in his hand, leaps towards Duke Avon and uh, stabs him in the heart, takes his soul into Elric. And then uh, one of the crewmen runs over to help Avon, and Elric cuts him through the back, <laughs> severs his vertebrae, kills him. And then the creature stands up, like Ariok has invaded it. And, and the creature is, I, I like this ending a little bit because it says, uh, like he says something like when the, when the Jade Man, when the statue ceases to guard the place where the High Ones meet, the great struggle of the upper worlds begins on this plane. And this is a, he says it's a greater curse now than, than the curse of the Jade Man, ha- having the Jade Man there. So, so whatever Elric has done has created this huge conflict and brought the conflict to his plane. And then the rest of the, the books, as I remember, like towards the final one, Stormbringer, are kind of part of this chaotic ongoing battle. I may be misremembering that. I remember the final battle quite well, I feel like, but I'm, I'm going to have to get to that slowly over the next year or so. And then what I love is Smjordan's uh, attitude after, <laughs> after he's seen Elric <laughs> cut the... Oh, and the, right. the, oh and, and the creature said there's this big, big boat full of treasure over there. Right. Smorgan really just like dusts his hands off is like, ah, yes, another fine... We, we learned a lot of lessons, didn't we, folks? <laughs> You see, Elric, the greatest treasure was humanity all along. He's, he says, yeah, well, he says, aren't you afraid of me? And Smurden says, well, we don't, we don't brood where I'm from. I'm just glad I'm rich now. <laughs> you can come live with me forever, dude. Just come back to Purple Towns. <laughs> it's, true. it's true. He's really... I want to know why there's the, Smurden... pur- the Purple Towns. Why are they called the Purple Towns? Why wouldn't they be called the Purple Towns? I don't know. It's just a funny name. It's great. It's a great name. Oh, it's a great name. I'm a huge fan of that name. I mean, I think if you were to look at real place names like there's probably a logic that like if you translated the purple towns into finnish or whatever uh-huh. right and it was like it would it would sound different enough it, like it's like how um the river avon you know mm-hmm. like avon just means river it just oh means... does it oh i didn't know that yeah yeah the, we'll see that's extremely common mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. well it's like you know i'm from hillsboro florida and it's like, what does Hillsboro mean, right? It just means there's hills there. I'm just from hills. Sure. City of hills, borough of hills. Right. Like, that. that's not actually a very interesting name, but nobody thinks that way. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, Purple Towns is actually pretty, pretty standard. Well, Russia uh, translated is, it, Russia is just Latin for red. It just means red. Oh, didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, I, I love this book because it, it makes me want to read more. Like, like, like yeah. this, this book, this book, like it's, it's doesn't have that crazy sense of victory. It doesn't have a crazy sense of defeat. It is the empire strikes back. It's the second Lord of the Rings movie. You know, it's sure it, it, it just, it just compels me to read more and it doesn't, it I, doesn't I, disappoint yeah. in the way a bad ending does. And it, it kind of starts in the middle without, doesn't explain much. It has everything I like in a book. I, it has a lot of what I would like in a book. I, I think that it's kind of a mess. Um, but it's not a mess that makes me angry. Like, I feel the way about this that I think a lot of people feel about, like, cozy mysteries. Like, mm-hmm. th- this is a thing that is pleasant to read and then promptly forget about, right? Because that's basically what my experience with it has been, is that, like, okay, this was this was good, but also it doesn't really stick with me. There are things about it that stick with me, mm-hmm. but those things are are pretty 
those are just aesthetic. They really don't matter. I, I think that I, I think that I've seen this done so poorly so many other times that this is like sure. this is like just one of the best versions of this, if not the best well, version. Well, I. Of it. I would, I would, I would be interested to read other and more Moorcock because I do think that Moorcock is a great writer. You know, um, I remember as a teenager, a friend of mine handing me a short story that was, uh, it was like some fantasy sports short story that he wrote that I thought was just the funniest thing in the world. It was so funny. I, I have to find it. I remember, I remember, I remember thinking how profound uh, "Behold the Man" was. Did you ever read that? No, I, I don't know that one. It's a uh... I think it's the story of Jesus is told uh, via a time travel science fiction story. Oh, okay. Published sure. published before this book, um, but I, but I was like, oh and yeah, of, that's exactly how that could happen. <laughs> like it's like it's just kind of ridiculous. <laughs> and of course, Michael Moorcock wrote the lyrics to everyone's favorite Blue Oyster Cult song, "The Veteran of a Thousand Psychic Wars." <laughs> what? As as known in the hit film Heavy Metal. What is that true? Okay, yeah, okay, there's a Blue Oyster Cult song. It's a great song. You should look it up. It's called Veteran of a Thousand Psychic Wars. Okay. Uh, and Michael Moorcock wrote the lyrics to it. And what, well, you listen to it, and you're like, oh, of course Michael Mo- Moorcock wrote these lyrics because they sound exactly like his science fiction, science fantasy madness. Huh, well, that's um, cool. But I love that. It's a great song. Yeah, it, it, if you remember the film Heavy Metal, which I... Uh, have memorized extensively you love that movie so much more than i do i i love that movie i know i know it's not good i love that movie (laughs) it's uh it's uh like the it's one of the first things that happens when the lochnar is uh detailing its evils to the little girl at the the very beginning of the movie and then it cuts to uh a digging site the the song is playing Hmm. that that movie has a great soundtrack, I, which is obvious. It's called heavy metal. I get it. Anyway, did heavy metal originate in in France, or did it originate in the UK? No, it's it's French. It was uh, metal herlant. Yeah, I would. I just I. But like, does that have anything to do with the style of music? I mean, I think it must on some level. Like, I don't think that the I don't think that the publishers of metal herlant had that in mind. Hmm. But I think I think that there was some. Those things converged in a way that just, you know, one one became the other. Like, well, especially because outside of comics aficionados like myself, like Heavy Metal, the comics magazine, doesn't really mean anything to anyone anymore, right? Right. Like, so at some point, people associated that name with the music and not with the magazine or with the movie, right? Well, it, it looks like or, it looks like I, the aesthetic of the magazine shifted to, like, almost heavy metal music album covers, but I'm sure it influenced it too. You know what I mean? I just can't tell what came first when I see it. Um, right. Well, it's funny to me that because the aesthetic of heavy metal magazine, Metal Harlant, really was closer to Michael Moorcock than it ever was to Black Sabbath, right? Mm-hmm. Like it, it was high weird more than like, oh yeah, just get yourself on a motorcycle and shred this guitar. Like not that Mattel Harlot was like super opposed to that idea, but it was more, but they, but they were very high art. There was a, the, 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 the weirdness served the aesthetic uh, it, it, rather than the sort of machismo and the revelry of, of that one would associate with heavy metal music. Mm-hmm. Which and this is one of those things that now I, I I get irked by this frequently. I if you enjoy heavy metal music, if you enjoy metal music today, I, I I don't hold anything against you. But every conversation I have with people who are really into metal is exhausting, just because 
Well, it's because metal from like I guess when I was in high school to now has had a billion. It's it's had this insane growth in it as a genre, which is great. Except that it's impossible for a person who is not extremely steeped in that lore to converse with converse with the fans who are Fair about enough. it. Fair like, enough. Yeah. Like well, you know, because someone will be like, "Oh, do you like heavy metal?" And I'll be like, "Do you like metal?" And I'll be like, "I like Black Sabbath." And I'll be like, "Well, that doesn't count." So I'll be like, <laughs> okay. And they're like, "Well, what does count?" And they'll be like, "You know, abortion holocaust." And I'll be like, "Well, I haven't heard any abortion <laughs> holocaust." And they'll be like, "Well, then I guess you don't get to engage with this material." Like, goodbye. And you know, it's one of those things that <laughs> it just all I tell people who start that conversation with me is I'm a big fan of Rat. Back for more, my favorite heavy metal song ever. It just shuts the whole thing down right away. Just lets yeah, them know I, I have know no taste. You don't know Rat? <laughs> R-A-T-T? No. Oh, it's a terrible song. It's a terrible. It's like, it's up there with Quiet Riot. Right. No, the next time someone asks me that, which is unlikely, uh, I'll just say that, yeah, I love the Beatles. And then we'll just, and then I'll just walk away. That'll shut up. Just... Do you mean Phil Collins? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> hey, what are what are we going to read next? What was the next uh, the next fantasy novel we agreed to? I think you picked it. Yes, the next book. I have to find my phone because I have it as an ebook, which is hellish to me. Um, <laughs> I, the book in question is called, I believe it's called, "The Face in the Frost," or uh, yes, "The Face in the Frost" by John Belairs. Okay. Yeah, and this uh, I specifically picked this one because it was also on Gary Gygax's Appendix N. Uh, just just picking off. I'm gonna I'm gonna get through that whole list one of these days. Excellent. I, I'm I'm here to help facilitate that. So all right. So next time, John Belair's The Face in the Frost. Yes. I'm excited. I've I've never heard of this book, and um, the cover looked fun. So that's that's all I demand of my sword and sorcery. Apparently. <laughs> All right. Well, if you know any sword and sorcery book we should read this year, please email us at bookstabberpodcast at gmail.com with your suggestion. I am Gene Ambon. I am Willow Payne. Go read www.hauntedskull.com. Uh, I know that I did not upload a new story for March, and I feel bad about that. We'll see if I have time to make more comics in the future. Who knows? Maybe something about a black sword would be good, or a gray sword. Nobody's done a gray sword yet. It'll be great. Uh, I don't know. Games Workshop might have something to say about that. We'll find out later. Okay. All right. Later, Willow. Keep stabbing. <laughs>